Welcome to Broken Catholic, the show where I interview practicing Catholics, non-Catholics, and recovering Catholics about why the world isn't working right now, and tackle unspeakable topics that many people secretly struggle with but won't admit. See, I believe that God is in the business of transformation, so I'm here to stand for you having a transformation so big that when God is done with you, you're barely recognizable. I'm your host, your coach, your brother, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist, and I freely share my personal struggles of being a modern Catholic man. It's freaking hard. I don't have it all figured out. I'm a work in progress just like you, and that's okay. Today, our featured guest is Jim Ganther, and our topic is divisiveness. I like to say divisiveness, but divisiveness sounds more proper. The Cure for the Common Division. Love it. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Start us out uh, by telling us who you are and what I mean by that is, like, what business are you in? What's your title there? What industry do you work in? Because people like context. Okay. Well, I am a 55-year-old married father of seven. Whoa. Yeah, it can get expensive, so I'm <laughs> I'm broke all the time, and my hobbies include little league carpools and tuition. And this show is called Broken Catholic, so I get the broke part. Yeah, absolutely broke. I'm an attorney by training. Uh, I currently am an entrepreneur, author, speaker, small business owner. Um, I run a company called Mosaic Compliance Services, and we provide web-based legal compliance services for car dealerships all across the United States. Mm, very niche. Very, very niche. And that's why it's working. It works. I have not been able to kill it in the last 10 years. (laughs) And you've tried. So, Jim, as you know, this podcast is not about who our guest is, what they've achieved in life, successes, or anything like that. It's really about what you stand for. And today we're talking about divisiveness, right, and what's going on in the world with that. But before we get started, I'd like to get right down to business. Why do you think the world isn't working right now? The world isn't working right now. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I think a a core reason is free will. We have the ability to choose good versus evil. If it weren't for free will, love would be impossible. But free will also makes evil possible. Mm. We can choose the bad. We can choose against God. So that's always a foundational reason for why the world isn't working at all times. So what I'm hearing you say is in order for... Uh, free uh, for free will to exist, evil has to exist and good has to exist. And when people ask, why is there so much evil in the world? It's because, well, there's free will. We are choosing poorly. It's because we have the possibility of loving and we misuse that possibility. So that is mm. a, a foundational reason for divisiveness mm. because love tends towards unity. Mm. You know, good can be seen as the opposite of evil, but love can be seen as the opposite of division Mm. because love is at the core of God. It's at the core of the life of the Trinity. God is love, right? God is love, and that is why. What what occurs for me is that there's two human drivers, and I say this on other episodes, that really propel the human emotion. Uh, We can either operate in love or we can operate in its counterpart, which is fear, mm-hmm. right? And and when you think of divisiveness, where does that come from? That comes from fear. Fear of I'm right, they're wrong, or vice versa. They're out to get me. They want to 
cause me harm. This is where all these labels come from, this divisiveness in, in our culture, right? So what shows up for you in that with the, with love and then it's, a, it's opposition fear? Well, there's love and there's fear, and this gets really, really primal. Is that yeah, it does. It, um, there is chosen love and the love of one's own. I mean, when you think about Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet, mm. do you think of that as a love story? Or as a political screed, it's a political story. Okay, it was written at a time when kingdoms, when kingship was being challenged. You know, there's it was the the, the Reformation. Everything was up for grabs. It was a very divisive time. Mm. And what Shakespeare was writing through his characters, Romeo and Juliet, they had their own tribes, the Montagues and the Capulets. Yes, that was like the monarchies. They were born to those particular tribes, and that should have been their primary loves. So, would that be like today's Democrats or Republicans? Oh, I think about it much, much broader than that. I Got think it. about it at the national level that mm. we're we're seeing a rise in nationalism, and what you can see that as is a return to the love of one's own, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, right. in Romeo and Juliet, it ended with their suicides. Mm. You know, they, they chose this free love, using the term differently than we might today. Sure. But they chose their primary allegiances, making their what sh- may have historically been their primary loves uh, secondary. Mm. And it ended very badly. It was the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. And, but the political piece... The reason why Shakespeare wrote it is, you know, he was being paid by the monarchy. So obviously, the first loves, the kingdoms, had to be alive and well at the end of his play. Mm. It was a cautionary tale. The characters didn't matter, but the kingdoms needed to be alive and well is what I'm hearing. Yeah, the forces, there were forces bigger than any individual Mm. character. And so when we talk about, uh, you know, divisiveness, the rise of nationalism, these are somewhat natural things and why is there division there's division on the personal level and there's division on the international geopolitical level we live in a vociferous zeitgeist okay you got to break that down for my audience and myself i know i that's i dropped that one on you just i love it i, I did i sent some stunned Ger- look i, I sent some german in that <laughs> and i don't speak german so ich spreche bisschen deutsch I. mit einer name wie ganter natürlich <laughs> um okay vociferous is an adjective meaning tending to to break apart tending to divide it's from the word fission which means to divide mm. as fusion means to come together yes. so vociferous is the adjective meaning to 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 break apart Zeitgeist is the German word that means the spirit of the times. Zeit means time. Geist means Mm. ghost, spirit. The spirit of the times is your zeitgeist. Mm. We live in a divisive zeitgeist. The spirit spirit of of the the times times is is divisive on the personal level and even on up to the international level, and I would say always on the spiritual level. Mm. So when you look at Brexit, for example, um, I am telling you, Bluntly, the European Union is over. It's dead. It died in 2008. People are just now beginning to notice. Brexit was not a leading indicator of the division. It was a trailing indicator. Laggard. True true story. When I was growing up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, 
suburban north of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oh, just say that again. That's just a fun word. (laughs) Suburban Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, the Paris of the Midwest. (laughs) And we had a massive tree. We had a two-acre yard that was carved out of a horse farm. And and in the middle of the backyard, there was a tree whose trunk at the base was about as big as this four-foot-by-four-foot table that we're talking across right now. And when I was in high school, we put a great big steel eye screw it tw- about 18 inches above the, the ground into this tree mm. so that we could every now and then chain our dog outside when that was appropriate to do. I get it. Well, one night, a storm came and lightning struck that massive and ancient tree. And the burn on the outside of the bark ran all the way down to that steel eye screw. That's the point of contact. That's mm. the point of terminus. Well, it killed the tree. It killed the tree in, say, 1985. But the tree wasn't cut down, mm. and the trunk wasn't, or the stump wasn't ground until at least 10 years later. Mm. It took 10 years for that ancient tree to finally die. And getting back to Europe, it took 50 years mm. to get the EU to where it is. It will probably take 50 years for all of its structures to completely dissolve. But Europe as a united, ever-tightening, ever-greater union, that is absolutely dead and Mm. has been for almost a decade. And what was interesting about Brexit from my perspective is that 18 months ago when that vote was held, the Remain vote was about 10 points ahead in the polls above the Leave vote. And in the morning... Everybody was shocked because it was reversed. There was a 10 percentage point gap, but the Leave vote won. And they won because they wanted their country back. They Mm -hmm. did not appreciate having 75% of British laws being written in Brussels by people they didn't vote for. Mm. This was their last clear chance to get their country back. But what was interesting about the polling is that everybody who wanted Europe to continue on its arc towards ever greater union, create the United States of Europe. They were the elites. They were the politicians. They were the media giants. They had a stake Mm -hmm. in things as they were. And they were only listening to one another. Yep. And they made people think, the average Joe Sixpack, made them think that everybody wants ever greater union. Yeah. I'm I'm an outlier. I'm an outcast. Mm -hmm. So created a false silo. When yep. they, there, there was this echo chamber, and they weren't allowed to be part of it. Mm-hmm. So when they were polled, they lied. They said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the cool people. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the elites. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm for st- and that they, played on the human need of uh, feeling accepted, right? Yeah. Being part of something bigger than them. But when the vote came, they voted to leave. Shocked everybody. And on that day, I get that. Yeah. late May, early June of 16, I said, at that point, Donald Trump was not yet the Republican nominee Mm. for the presidency, but he was heading towards it. But I remember predicting to all who would listen, if Donald Trump is within 10 points in the polls on the eve of the election, he will be president. Mm. The exact same vociferous zeitgeist is playing over here as well as in Europe. Mm. And it it had the exact same result. You know, right. it's, it's interesting because, like, as you were, you were speaking about Europe, it was occurring to me, well, hey, the same thing happened with Trump. Almost very 
dead on, spot on, right? The the media, everyone's preaching, oh, Trump is done. He's out. He's out. And and it was occurring to me at the time, and I'm not, you know, politically forecasting here. It was just occurring to me. I don't think he's done yet. Let's just wait till the it's it's over. And to that point, it's like people were saying one thing, but in their hearts, they were actually standing for something else. And then when the final vote came through, shock, shocked everyone, right? There was just this denial across the board, like, where did that come from? Left field. And it's like, because people were using their lips to say one thing, but their hearts were saying another. Oh, boy, I don't want this to be a political podcast. I'm no, just using doesn't. these as, as examples. Yeah, and but let's bring it back to divisive. Yeah. Bringing it back to you know a time of divisiveness, mm-hmm. we are not living through an era of change. We are living through a change of era. Okay, break that down for us. I mean this, uh, Joseph, if, if this good planet Earth survives another thousand years, historians will look back to our lifetimes and say they lived through a period as transformative and as disruptive as the Protestant Reformation or the Industrial Revolution. Mm. Things are really changing. That vociferous zeitgeist means things, in fact, are breaking apart, and it really is a change of era. But where the change is going to go depends immensely on each one of our individual lives. Okay. Bring that, bring that from the stands to the court. Okay. From the stands to the court, you were using an athletic uh, metaphor because you're an athlete and, you know, I, I was de- speech and debate team. So, I mean, to me, a ser- yeah, to me, a serious injury was like a paper cut. Yeah. Okay. But I'll, I'll take it from the bench to the bar here. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I say that our individual lives matter is at the end of the day, the only things that matter to are us. Our, no, the only things that matter to God are our souls. Yes. Our immortal soul. Total I mean, agreement. We, we are so we are created to become something. Children of God. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to live out the Father's life. People are supposed to look at us and see God's family resemblance yes. in our in our in our lives and in our actions. That's all that matters. Honestly, who is in the White House only matters to the extent, you know, is it is that person promoting peace, mm-hmm. justice, mm-hmm. and tax reform? Mm. Um, well, certainly peace and justice, <laughs> but tax reform can impact that too. So we really are, as individuals, you know, we're just a couple of ordinary Joes, you literally. I mean, we're just a couple <laughs> of ordinary Joes trying to live our lives, earn our daily bread, pay our taxes, and you know, be left alone. You know, we just want a quiet life. But that life is all that matters to God the Father. And and it's obviously going to play out to his glory or not. Mm. But we're the only things that matter. Did you ever read the book, The Screwtape Letters? Uh, yes, I have. You know, it's it's a yeah. great spiritual classic. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a quick read. But one of the things that Screwtape, the senior demon, was telling Wormwood, his rookie nephew. Well, give us context first for the book, for our listeners. For those who haven't read it, Screwtape Letters was written by C.S. Lewis around the time of the Second World War, and it was a backwards book. Mm. It was a book written from the perspective of the devil, how to make people fall. Instead of being a book, this is how you should be virtuous, this is how you should be better, it was senior devil coaching a junior demon 
on how to bring about the ruin of souls. Mm. And so it's actually fairly entertaining because mm -hmm. it's such a unique perspective. And very strategic, I might add. Yes. And by yeah. the way, you know, it ends with a Screwtape proposes a toast, mm. which was talking about the state of education in uh, Britain in the 1950s. But it sounds like the United States of America today. So mm. go out, buy the book, borrow it. You'll love it. Yeah. So in that book, Screwtape, Senior Devil, is telling his nephew, the, the rookie demon, he said, you know, the only thing that ultimately matters are these human souls. At the end of time, either the enemy, and by the enemy he means God the Father, either mm. the enemy or our Father below will look at all of created cre creation, all of creation, and say, mine. Mm. The division is our souls. The devil is going to look at the fallen souls and say, mine. And the Father is going to look at, I'm hoping ours, mm. um, and say, mine. Mm. We're going to be on one camp or the other. So we, the souls, are the assets, if you will. We're the, we're the prize. We're the we prize. are the prize. We Got are the it. apple of God's eye. And when I say that how we live matters and how the divisions that we see are going to shake out, it's going to shake out at the personal level. At mm. the level of our soul and our salvation, nothing is beyond that. You can put, the, put on these glasses and say, okay, everything that I do, Everything that I say is all going to tend towards God's plan or the enemy's plan. Mm. You can't, there, nobody's in the stands. We're all out there on the court. Mm. I get that, you know, and it's like, but let's break it down to a very personal, because you, you're talking about the individual. Bring it down to a very personal level. It's like there's a, a divisiveness in our own heart, right? And this happened with the fall of mankind, right? Adam and Eve, go back to the Bible. Boom, right there, there was this division that occurred what i saint paul speaks about it right the very things i know i want to do which is this drawing me up towards my heavenly father i don't do and i have this internal battle within myself a division a division within myself that causes me to fall time and time again so how can we create a world that is without division if we can't even figure out how to create our own soul without division. Well, as you say, start with, start with the soul. If everyone broomed off their own front step, the whole world would be clean. So, I get that. However, we don't know how to broom off our own front step. And it's almost built into us. We inherited this brokenness. True. So We also inherited the fix. Okay. Speak on that. Well, the fix, the, the immediate fix to the uh, concupiscence, there's another big word, the tendency towards, you know, bad. I know that word. Uh, so do I. We, were, <laughs> we learned it together not, not long ago. When you German drop on me, you, you kind of get me. Okay. So we have this tendency to evil, um, tendency to selfishness, mm -hmm. which we call concupiscence, which we believe is the inherited result of the fall. Yeah. I know. call it a hell-bent tendency. It, yeah. Quite literally. Yeah. But we have the antidote. And the antidote is life in Christ, which is initiated by baptism. Mm. Now, I, before your phone lines all light up with you know our, our Hindu and Jewish and Muslim friends. Now, Jim's messing with you because this is not a live show. Yeah, so there is no call-in number. Please continue. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I turned off my cell phone. Awesome. But 
you know, I believe that God's salvation extends to all of the human race. It's available to all. Mm-hmm. But this is called broken Catholic, so I'm speaking in the, in the vernacular of Catholicism, is that we have baptism and the other sacraments, which are literally channels of grace to give us the power to overcome our hell-bent tendencies. So you start with what we've been given. I mean, we've got a toolkit. We've been given weapons for this battle, and they Mm. are very, very good. So baptize. I've received confirmation and uh, the Eucharist and uh, reconciliation and matrimony. Um, I have the graces of these sacraments that equip me to be less of a schmuck than I otherwise would be. So, yes, I take advantage of daily mass, not every day, but I can get there a couple days a week because my office is but a few blocks from a downtown church. Mm. Um, it also makes it easier for me to go to confession. My, the way I remember it's time to go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation is I do it every first Friday. Oh, it's first Friday. That will be mm. in our, tomorrow in mm-hmm. our, as we record this. And I like going to that downtown parish because the priests don't know my voice. So it works out really <laughs> slick. You know, why'd you do that again, Jim? Um, so you take advantage of these things, and you are built up into Christ. The title of this podcast is, is Broken Catholic. But you know what? I don't want to focus on the broken part. I want to focus on the repairing part. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a growing Catholic. I'm so an, whole. I'm, you know, the, I'm not whole. Uh, believe me, if I were whole, I wouldn't be going to confession tomorrow. I get it, but but that's that's the goal, right? It, and like you're, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, in Jesus, in baptism, through the sacraments, our Father in heaven wants to make each of us whole and complete, whole and complete, and acting as His Son, acting as Christ, yes. so that you know it's. Really, religion in general and Christianity specifically, it's not about self-improvement, though you should improve yourself. But what it's really about is being the presence of Christ in the world. Mm. That's our job. We are to carry on not just the work but the person of Christ in the world, in our workplaces, everywhere that we go, so that we extend the reach of the gospel. We light more lights. We turn on more lamps so that we repair. We Getting back to the point of departure— Individually, we matter incredibly in God's plan, and we can help heal the division. We live in an era of change and a change of era. Where that change is going to go, I cannot predict. But I do know that it can be more peaceful because of the life I live. If I am living Christ's life, I am bringing Christ into arguments. I brought a big stack of stuff here. (laughs) The Sound of Paper. The Sound of Paper. (laughs) An article that I read that was published on uh, October 3rd Hmm. in the American Spectator, and it was written by Ben Stein. You remember Ben Stein. I do. The eye commercial. Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. Yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, he writes a story about what we're talking about, this incredible spirit of divisiveness. Hmm. And he talks about growing up in the 1950s in Silver Spring, Maryland, which at the time was a small town, but is now the second largest town in the state of Maryland. And his next-door neighbors were incredibly liberal Democrats. His dad was an incredibly conservative Republican. His mom was a Democrat, but kind of a centrist. But the next-door neighbors were the Bernsteins, and they were way on the left side. Well, their son, who was a year older than Ben Stein, 
was a kid named Carl Bernstein. Yeah, that Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein, of Watergate, Pulitzer Prize winner for the Watergate series. That kid was one of Ben Stein's best friends, and yet they were politically, grew up to be politically polar opposites. Mm. And the point of his story, he gave several other examples of people in this mixed Jewish-Christian neighborhood. He said, we all got along. He said, the Skulls were Christians, lived up the street. They were Republicans. They would let all the Jewish Democrat kids play in their pool. In other words, they had disagreements that were really deep. But they loved one another, Mm. and they all got along. And then then there was the 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 point of his story was on the 8th of November last year, he got a phone call from one of his very best friends in the whole world. He didn't use her name. just called her Mrs. B. He said, I've known her since Ford was the president. They are saints, beautiful people. I love Mr. and Mrs. B. And I thought we would be close friends till the day of our deaths. And she called me and asked, who did you vote for? And I said, well, it was kind of a conflicted choice, but I pulled the lever for Donald Trump. She hung up the phone. She refuses to speak to me. Her middle-aged daughter, a woman of means, sent me an email and said, Mom will never, don't bother. You're dead to my mother. She wow. has ended the friendship for all time. Ben Stein said, I wrote her two lengthy letters. I sent flowers. I begged for our friendship of decades not to be thrown away. And this woman will not even respond. Mm. He was bemoaning the fact that I've been alive on this earth for s- almost 70 years. And I've never seen it this divided. And it's breaking my heart. Mm. And there is something unique mm-hmm. about what we're going through as a culture right now yes. where people not only are cheerfully willing to hate based on a political disagreement, but what's scary to me is people seem to be thinking they are being virtuous yes. in their hatred. Yes. And hatred is what's driving this. Yes gets back to the individual. We don't have to hate. If I've learned anything in 55 years, and this is something I've learned fairly recently, mm. the truth is vitally important, but being right is overrated. That's, okay, yeah, I'm gonna jump in on this. Yeah, first off, thank you for sharing that story. That's just powerful, right? It's like, there is a way to disagree, in my opinion, where I don't have to make the other person wrong. And I think sometimes we forget there's another human being sitting across from us. And we're so attached to being right that we do, we're not cautious and careful to share truth, how it occurs to us as truth, in a way that leaves the other people, the other person, whole and complete. Respects their humanity. Correct. And instead, we just go there. We get loose at the lips, and we leave a trail of wreckage behind us. And as we could see, it's not working. The world isn't working this way. So as you're listening to Jim right now, Jim Ganther Esquire, it's just fun to say, uh, and myself talking about divisiveness in the world, 
hopefully you're hearing what we're saying, what we're sharing. It starts with each of us. We are responsible for the world not working. You are, I am, Jim is. And we really have to sit with that and wrestle with that. Am I occurring in the world as divisiveness? Or am I occurring in the world as unity and love? Jim, share what you want to share. Well, I'm going deeper into my great big stack of stuff. Again, within hours of encountering that uh, article by Ben Stein, I came across something from the Catholic News Agency, and the headline reads, Iraqi Nun, We Pray for ISIS Militants. It Helps Us Forgive. And the story is about a nun. This story was written in Rome. And it's about a nun who was one of 73 nuns who in 2014 were on the plain of Nineveh in northern Iraq when the Islamic State took over that territory. A third of the nuns, a third of the sisters, were killed. Mm. The rest were persecuted. Uh, approximately 100 churches were, were leveled by ISIS, and they were forced to flee. So two-thirds were able to leave with their lives. And they're waiting to go back. And they're planning to go back because the plain of Nineveh has been, uh, ISIS has been expelled from that area. And they're eager to go back and resume teaching the children and bringing Christianity back to a war-torn area. But the point of the story is that while they are literally in their exile, they are praying for ISIS. Now, they're not praying for the success on the battlefield of ISIS. But for the individual souls within ISIS. These incredibly benighted people who think that by torture and murder, they are bringing about the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is the violation of the second commandment. Remember, the second commandment's not about, you know, saying GD when you hit your thumb with a hammer. The people who recorded the second commandment wouldn't even utter the word of the deity under any circumstances. Correct. What they meant was, or partially what they meant, hmm was doing evil in God's name. You bring dishonor upon the creator. And that's what these people at ISIS are doing, is they're doing unspeakable evil Mm. in the name of their God. And these nuns are praying for those guys that they might be touched by the light of the gospel and their souls might be saved, and incidentally, their terrorism might end. But what's Mm. really cool about this article is she says praying for them helps us to forgive. She's taking forgiveness very, very seriously. She's not saying, oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Mm. You murdered a third of my convent. That is most definitely not okay. And actually forgiving from the heart, Mm. she's acknowledging, is taking time, but putting the prayer in first. First of all, it's easier to pray than to forgive. Mm. But there's grace in the prayer such that she will come to the point where she can truly forgive. Let's go from the plain of Nineveh to the continental United States. You know, Joseph, are you willing to pray for the shooter in Las Vegas? Are you willing to pray for the salvation of his soul? Mm. That makes it a little bit more real, and it makes the the difficulty Mm. understandable. How can we possibly forgive this, this monster? Well, Before he's a monster, he's a human being. That's right. And, oh, I'm not there yet, by the way. If I'm a broken Catholic, this is part of my broken part. Mm -hmm. I am not there. I am PO'd, and I don't have a charitable thought in my soul. I'm hoping when the rawness of this event 
um, is past, I, c- I can pray mm. for that guy and pray for his salvation. You know, it's interesting because what occurs for me and what you're saying, Jim, is God does not call us to feel like forgiving others. He calls us to forgive others. Yeah. And there's, that, there's a choice there, right? And you may not feel like forgiving the person in front of you or across from you. Forgive them anyway. Because when you forgive them anyway, God then gives you the feeling. And we tend to want the feeling first, don't we? Well, I want the feeling first, you know, like, like nice feelings. Um, but, the, you know, there are things that are, you will admit this, I trust, that there are things, there are people in your life that you are saying, I forgive, but you really haven't forgiven yet. And what I mean by that is I refer to it as my scrapbook. I have a scrapbook. It's sort of a philosophical, it's an imaginary scrapbook. But I pull it out from time to time, perhaps daily, and I flip through it. Mm. And it's all of my resentments. It's every, I've got a scrapbook mm. of everybody who ever stabbed me in the back at mm. work, um, whoever lied to me, hurt me, humiliated me. And I will, I will play off in my mind just how right I was and just how wrong that other person was. And the fact mm. that I have that scrapbook means I truly have not forgiven the people who are in it. Mm. So, you know, I've got a long way to go. You know, it's interesting. I just, uh, on the way in this morning, um, right around my property, uh, there was a young man uh, who lives uh, very close by, and he was with his girlfriend. And uh, I, it caught my attention because they were yelling at the top of their lungs outside and just cursing and yelling. And he's uh, punching things and kicking things and hitting her car and all this stuff and raging. And I could just see this rage coming out of this young man. And it's not the first occurrence. And the, the police have been called on him several times. He's a good-looking kid. He's fit. Uh, he's charming with the girls. This isn't the first girl I've seen him do this with. Um, and, but he has it, this, this uh, anger inside of him. Probably from uh, being, you know, from his childhood where something happened, something traumatic. Maybe his dad left. I don't know the story behind it. I just see a broken uh, individual there, a broken boy, a broken young man. And he's taken out on this girl. And he's yelling and cursing or whatever. And waking up all the neighbors, you know, it's at the crack of dawn. And, you know, eventually I put on my clothes and it's going to make me a little late to get to my first show. But... It has to happen, right? So I go out there and I say, hey, good morning. And I, they look up and I'm looking down from my balcony and they look up and I said, guys, this isn't the first time this has happened. Please take this inside. And not the best approach. I get that. However, I just wanted to handle it fast and get back to my, my life, right? And that was a selfish way of occurring. And I get that. And immediately he says, F you, mind your business. Yeah. And the girl, she apologizes. She's like, we're sorry. We're sorry. And she's a sweet, kind girl. And she's just getting verbally abused by this guy. And, but she loves him. I could see it. Right. And, but he's got this poison inside of him, this anger, this hatred. And, uh, the point of this story is not the occurrence. The point of the story is, I did not in the moment, nor have I up till now in this day, said a prayer for him. Instead, I ran scenarios of how I should have, could have, and 
is I'm definitely capable of going down there and snapping him in half. Mm-hmm. And that's just a guy thing to do, isn't it? Some guys. Some guys. I and think I could go down there and bore him to death. <laughs> the point is this. The, the temptation of bitterness and resentment and anger, him pulling me to his level rather than me pulling him to, to a, a higher level of forgiveness, love, and acceptance. It's like, listen, I don't know what you're going through, you know, but you're loved. You're accepted. And, and that may sound cheeky or whatever, but you never know. That, that could change the whole occurrence right there. And it, so I'm just uh, standing in that, that I could have done that better. Yep. It, isn't it funny how you always get the, the, the best comeback 10 minutes later? Absolutely. You know, right? But you know what I should have said? You know what I should have done? The things you see when you leave your gun in your other pants. I mean... <laughs> You know, my uh, I was on a I had another episode on my other podcast, First 100K, and the gentleman uh, says uh, one of the best business advices he's ever received uh, was the three second rule. And I was like, "What's the three second rule?" And he goes, "When someone says something to me or asks me a question, I wait three seconds before responding." And I was like, "Okay, and what does that do for you?" He said, "Well, it helps me not to react." And he said, "Most people." in their lives, most of the time, just say the first thing that is passes through their brain, and it's normally not the right thing. And it creates all these situations in their life of unworkability. And he said, I used to do it too. And I learned, if I pause for three seconds and actually think about what you said, I'm gonna say something more thoughtful back. It also, the other benefit, it allows you to feel that you were heard by me. Wow, he's listening. He's not just sharing his voice, right? He needs his need to be heard, and that's a powerful thing, right? So one, I bring 1, that up. Two, one thousand, <laughs> three, one thousand. Yes, Joseph, that is a powerful. Now you don't thing. want to say that out loud, right? Okay, <laughs> that'd just be odd. But but the point being, you brought up, isn't it interesting how after the fact, in most situations, the right thing to do or the better way of doing it comes to us. And I'm sharing this guy's advice is that even waiting three seconds will put you in a better response than if you just react to most things in your life in the moment, in the second. What shows up for you there, Jim? I'm waiting for the three 1,000. There we are. <laughs> yeah. the, the, your listeners can't see me moving my fingers here as I count them off. Now, the three-second rule probably wouldn't be very effective on a podcast. Show. You can edit out the dead air, right? <laughs> but I don't want to. Okay, you know, the, the sub-theme, subtitle of this particular podcast is The Cure for the Common Division, and the cure for the common division ultimately is love. And mm. what you were just describing, you may not have thought about it in these terms, but it is a manifestation of love when you are listening to understand mm. as opposed to listening to respond. Or to be heard. Because it puts the other person first, which is an act of love. Mm. You know, um, prayer is an act of love. I always say prayer always works. Prayer from the heart never fails, ever. Mm. And most people would say, well, that's not true, Jim, because I prayed for grandma to recover from cancer and she died. I said, no, 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 no. It doesn't always play out perhaps the way you want, but prayer from the heart is an act of love. When I pray for you from the heart, I am loving you. I wanna say game over, mission accomplished. I have, 
what the purpose of, lo- uh, purpose of prayer is has been achieved. I am loving you by praying from the heart for you. That is the cure for the common division, is understanding that this person that is ticking me off, you know, Ben Stein ticked off Mrs. B because she, he voted for someone she did not vote for. And when she cut off that friendship, Ben Stein was no longer a friend or even a person, but became an enemy, became a deplorable. Mm. But what we all are at our core is children of God, mm. each and every one of us. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, the collective possessive, yes. Our Father. If this is our Father, that means we are all siblings. We're all brothers and sisters. That's right. And if you take your three seconds and remember that, it's going to change how you react to provocation. You know, Ben's vote for Trump and having the nerve to, to admit it mm-hmm. provoked. provoked Mrs. Mm-hmm. B. Exactly a month from the day we record this, we are recording this on the 5th of October. Mm. On the 5th of November, my firstborn son gets married in mm. Charlottesville, Virginia. And we know that he is marrying into a family whose political opinions are very different than ours. Mm. We've also been warned that you know, the parents, in particular the respective dads, tend to be fairly free with their opinions. And what I need to do, what I need to promise to do, is to not see anything surrounding that wedding as an opportunity for me to educate anyone or inform anyone. Our only job is to witness a marriage and support it with all of our hearts and don't rise to the bait. I am not going to provoke anyone. I am not going to bring this up. It's all about John and Melinda. What if it's brought up? What if you don't provoke it, but you are provoked? I'm going to have to be the Teflon man and let it just clink against my chest and fall to the ground and say something like, you know, not today. This is about this is about our kids. Yeah, it's about I, John and Melinda. I think that's something we wrestle with, right? We meaning us, the collective, the children of God is, okay, fine, Jim. I hear what you're saying. I won't provoke anyone. But darn it, if someone comes at me, I'm taking them down. Now, I could use that example this morning. I was not provoking a fight. However, if that young man came at me, I was going to take him down. How do we stand in love in those moments? Two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something like a learned skill. I'm better at it now than I was when I was younger. I remember very clearly uh, an incident in the chapel of Lions Hall on the University of Notre Dame, say 1983. And I am talking with a uh, co-ed, and we're talking about uh, nuclear disarmament. And I'm naval ROTC. I mean, I'm actually studying nuclear deterrence and nuclear policy. And she is talking about the wisdom of unilateral nuclear disarmament, which I did not think, nor do I currently think, is a really good idea. And she burst into tears. I mean, I was making my points, I thought, quite forcefully. And she burst into tears, said, I just want there to be peace, and ran away. 
And I just about shrank into my shoes being, you know, I am being a schmuck. This is where I began to learn that, that being right is overrated mm. um, in taking apart her argument, um, which was not well thought out, sincerely held, but not well thought out. Um, I was taking her apart mm. as well. Create that distinction for us. That's very important. Well, what you think is not who you are. You know, some t- there's a cliche, you are your behavior, and to a certain extent that's true. But remember, we're looking at one another as children of God, and take that as a baseline. I mean, okay. go through life, everyone you see, the schmuck who cuts you off in traffic is a child of God. God loves him more than I love my wife, and my wife is very lovable. <laughs> so separating uh, an opinion with which I disagree from the person who holds that opinion maintains their personhood and their status mm. as a child of God who needs to be respected to the point of reverence. Mm. And I'm, I'm still not very good at that. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I go to this... Um, this uh, group with my buddies once a month, and we smoke cigars and drink and have a great time. And the, the purpose of the group is to share on topics that we don't get to talk about anywhere else. So the most controversial religion, politics, you name it, that's where this occurs. Uh, that's what occurs there. However, the, the rule is that we all leave with mutual respect and love for each other. Yeah. And there's been a few times where one individual has crossed that line with me personally because he differs in faith beliefs. And the way he occurs to me, and I'm not putting myself in a good light because I have my own hell-bent tendencies in my own mind, right? The way he occurs to me is when he argues passionately that there is no God and that anyone who believes that is just creating a purple dinosaur in the sky fantasy. One, his his language is very, um, uh, what's the word, condescending, very uh, volatile, very aggressive. Yeah. Is he a lawyer? Uh, he's a brilliant individual. He's not an attorney, though. And he does very well successfully in all this other thing, all these other uh, things. However, he has crossed the line many times because I have learned... At first, I would get passionately aggressive back, and I would get offended. I would get so offended because I was insecure in in my own understanding that my beliefs that I hold fast to are, are completely distinct and separate from me, who I am as a child of God, as you said, a son of God, and that sometimes beliefs can change, can't they, throughout life, right? Because our worldview Mm-hmm. changes. And my beliefs are not me. My beliefs may carry me through life towards the, the goal that I want to go. So I have learned to separate that from the individual. So when when I speak with him, I, I can see him as a child of God. And he's an angry little child of God, right? <laughs> and, and that's how he occurs. However, he sometimes will cross that line and forget that he's arguing aggressively my beliefs and he will come and start doing personal attacks on me as a person as an individual my personal character joseph i thought uh you know you were this really smart man but you're actually an effing idiot 
you know, and start saying these volatile comments like that, which naturally brings out my defenses. And, and it's very difficult not to go there and match where he's pulling me. And that's, that's the hell-bent tendency within myself. You have to imitate Christ on the cross, absorbing the evil that is directed at you and seeing that it goes no further. Is it absorbing or deflecting? Absorb it. Because I, 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 I mean, okay, we're playing with words here, and we're talking about you know in allegorical terms. But when you deflect it, it's going somewhere. A ricocheted bullet can still kill. What if you deflect it to God? And I don't mean that all fluffy. No, I think we're you know, we may be in violent agreement on this. If you are absorbing it into the Christ in you, you are deflecting it to God. It okay, is, I see you, that. You are you're standing as Christ on the cross, hmm. and that's the one. You know, I want to be. If I'm going to be Christ in the world, I want to be the risen Christ. I mean, because, you know, he can bilocate and trilocate and, you know, <laughs> bounce all over the place. He he's can got make, superpowers. He's got superpowers. I mean, he, Stan Lee, stand back. I mean, this guy has it all going on. Um, I want to be that guy. But I don't want to be the guy who's being, you know, exhausted by idiotic questions. Um, I don't want to be the guy who's walking up and down uh, the roads of of Israel, you know, and being tired and dusty and, mm. and thirsty. I, I don't want to be the guy who's being uh, mocked by the mm. Roman soldiers and crowned with thorns. So you don't want to be the crucified Christ. You want to be the resurrected Christ is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I want I want the glory without the pain. Mm. Um, don't we the, all? Yeah, the glory will come. But, you know, we tend to, I tend to uh, try to, you know, Keep the unpleasant away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say I want a quiet life, I want a life that's easy. Peaceful, that is, yeah. But it's never been in the cards. I would like to be a man of peace. That's hard. Yes, it is. Um, that's hard. It's possible, though, right? It, it is possible. And I think it's a, it's a choice in every moment of every day because unpeaceful things come at us. Right. Situations yes. like for me this morning. Right. And I had a choice in the moment. Did I choose the right thing? Let's not make it right or wrong. I didn't choose the best thing. I'll put it that way. Right. However, reflecting back on it, I'm able to sit in the moment. I didn't take three seconds. I've taken three hours maybe. Right. But to say, hey, the next time something similar like that occurs or comes at me, I can choose this now. And, and I really think that, you know, what you shared earlier, we can choose love in every moment. Is it easy? No, it's not. However, we are sons of the Heavenly Father who created the universe. We're not called to easy. We're called to greatness. And I think that's a very powerful distinction. And understanding that when I am weak, God is strong. And God is within me. He is my Father. I don't have to rely on my own strength because it fails. Almost every time. It just does, Jim, right? And I can call on the Father as someone's attacking me, my personhood, uh, my, my human dignity. I could call on the Father and say, Father, give me the strength, not mine but yours, in this moment. And then absorb, as you said, the attack. Absorb the arrows. What shows up for you in that? Well, that we have everything we need to do everything you just described. You know, what is the cure for the common division? Ultimately, it is love. 
and we are equipped to grow in love and to be love, to participate in the life of the Trinity so that we can be the presence of the risen Christ in this world. And we then tend, not the vociferous tendency, but we can tend towards unity. Mm. The, and you know, that's really the, you know, the subtitle of this particular podcast and where I want it to land. Our lives matter immensely mm. because it's only individuals who can love with the very love of Christ if it doesn't happen through us, it doesn't occur, and it has to happen. So that whatever transformations we're going through, locally or globally, will come out on the other side, the better for it, because we have loved one another mm. with a very love of God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right there, I'm going to wrap this one up, because I, I think you, you landed the plane there. Really well done. So I just want to acknowledge you, first off, for being on the show I want to acknowledge you for standing for love in a world that isn't working right now. And it just takes one. And that's awesome. You're one. I'm one. That you, makes two. That's two right there, right? You're listening right now. And listen, I'm going to wrap this up and land my own plane here because you and I spoke about this early on, Jim. I was challenged to start this podcast show, Broken Catholic, because I literally thought that what difference will I make in all this darkness? It's overwhelming. The world's not working. Hatred, bitterness, divisiveness. What difference can I make? And then it occurred to me recently, this uh, image of a dark room and the volume within the walls, right? It, floor to ceiling, wall to wall. And that just volume of darkness, overwhelming, pitch blackness. And if I walk in and light one little candle, that light consumes the darkness. Even though the volume of the light is so finite compared to the darkness, which means that every life matters, which is exactly your point, Jim, today. Every life is meaningful. And every life, God wants to light up one of his children to consume the, the darkness all around them. And remember, it's God's light that does the work. All you have to do is use your free will to choose him, to choose his will, which is to light up the world with his love, to light up all his children, all his sons and daughters. With that, Jim, we're about to enter the confession round. Oh, gosh. See what I did there? <laughs> are you ready, sir? We are going to ask you 12 quick-fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Three-second rule. three seconds of silence. <laughs> no. This no, will this easy. will be an immediate response. Right? And uh, just share whatever comes up. Fair enough? Fair enough. Here we go. Didn't see this coming. Hey, Jim, what's your favorite thing about being an adult? Uh, raising children. Jim, what's your least favorite thing about being an adult? Raising children. <laughs> I get that. What secret fear do you have about people? <sighs> yeah, they, uh, they might not like me. I get that. I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> if you could be anyone, just for fun, for the next seven days, anyone on the planet, who would you trade places with? Donald Trump. <laughs> what do you wish you were better at? Listening. What dream are you scared of pursuing? Uh, getting my pilot's license. Fun. What makes you smile more than anything? My wife. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Astronaut. Duh. 
If you had the power to remove any one form of suffering from the world, what would it be? Loneliness. Imagine sometime in the distant future, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Man, he lived a long time. Um, <laughs> here lies a man who loved God and loved Melissa. Love that. That's solid. When you die, what would you like to hear God say when you walk through the pearly gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. Got it. Jim, last question. If you could come back to life after you died and tell your family, friends, and loved ones only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? The only failure in life is to fail to become a saint. Powerful. Jim, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Oh, golly. Uh, the best way to get in touch with me would be via email, jganther, J-G-A-N-T-H-E-R, at mosaiccs.com. Mosaic, C as in cat, S as in Sam. C as in compliance, S as in services. We or shortened, that. Yes, we shortened <laughs> the URL because people got writer's cramp. Exactly. Jim, thanks for joining us today on the show, and we wish you the love forgiveness and transformation of god the father the son and the holy spirit amen thanks for having me joseph you're welcome cheers friends i'm joseph warren and you were made for greatness head over to brokencatholic.com to learn how to stop being a wuss and start being a winner have a blessed day and remember that god the father loves you he's fascinated by you and he wants to show you his awesome plan for your life now go spend quiet time with him and i'll see you on the next show